0: Hello, world. Hi. 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 Hello. Hello. It's like I've forgotten how to say hello. (laughs) Hey, hey, and welcome to this week's episode of Life with Kaka. I'm your host and fellow producer, Carolina Gropa. However you found the show, welcome. I am so glad you're here doing this live thing with me. Howdy to new listeners from Sweden, Spain, and Chile. Welcome to the show where we dig into the messy parts of our journeys. It still blows my mind that something I create from my podcast studio, aka my bedroom, can reach ears all over the world. This week, we hear from Jessie Baker, a podcast producer and co-founder of the boutique production company Magnificent Noise. She began her career in public radio in her early 20s. She was a producer on major NPR news magazines, including All Things Considered and Weekend Edition. In many ways, she says NPR raised her. She later created the popular NPR weekly trivia program, Ask Me Another. Eventually, Audible came calling. While there, she produced and developed a number of the company's most successful original series, including West Cork and three seasons of Esther Perel's Where Should We Begin? As a huge fan of the iconic couple's therapist... I was curious to learn what it's like to create such an intimate podcast. We also geek out quite a bit on Ira Glass. I really hope I kept my fangirling to a minimum. <laughs> Tune in as Jessie shines a light on meeting there for the first time, discusses how the podcast market has evolved since 2014's smash hit Serial, and the growth she experienced from being laid off. The producer and me i hadn't sent my release
1: back i didn't get my recorder out i'm like did i even brush my teeth today like i'm doing all yeah just hey not following look, any of the rules
0: the show is about the messy parts of life and producing and this is exactly it you know just because we can perceive you to have all have it all together when you're in your work life, I'm sure you do. But now the tables are turned a little bit, and that's cool. That's okay. That's how it is. So I, I'm so happy that um, you responded to my unsolicited email <laughs> and uh, said yes to this interview because, as a very big listener and follower and just lover of Esther Perel and her podcast, um, that was how I found you because you're her podcast producer. <laughs> I'd love to just. Take it to the beginning and tell me how, tell us rather, how you got started, how you found your way into podcasting.
1: Sure. I feel like um, I did a very traditional path and I feel like there are so many more, more creative, fun ways to do this now. And people are kind of coming in from very different facets of the world and finding audio. Um, I went to journalism school I uh, thought I wanted to be a TV reporter, made the rounds for a little while and realized mm. I definitely could not hack it as a TV reporter. Uh, I applied for an internship at NPR, and for some reason they wanted me. And you know they basically <laughs> took me in at 23, raised me, uh, taught me how to cut tape, taught me how to write to sound, taught me really about news judgment and all kinds of things that I couldn't even have fathomed. And uh, I worked in and out of public radio for about 10 years. And that's generally how people, uh, kind of my generation came up. I mean, that was really the only training grounds that you had for podcasting was, you know, local radio Mm. or something like NPR. And, you know, now there are so many other aspects and other houses and other places to kind of come in. And people are coming in from TV and coming in from film and all kinds of, and we're all this big melting pot of, of audio making. It's very fun.
0: Is it exciting or is there some sort of like territorial turf wars? Do you feel? I mean, yes, I I feel (laughs)
1: like, I feel like podcasting is still small enough and maybe, maybe TV is very much like this. I just, that's not my world, but podcast is still small enough where we all know each other. Uh, in the sense, like, we either went to each other's wedding, or we mm. interned together, or we used to work for so-and-so, or we went to college with them. Like, we all, like, the, the Venn diagram of who's who, pretty much there's
0: a lot of overlap. And now we've all made projects for each other, too. I was just thinking that we have, uh, in filmies, this, this idea of, like, six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon. Totally. You guys should have one totally for do. six degrees of separation from Iron Glass. But Ira's the Godfather,
1: and so I'm sure he'd hate me saying that. Um, <laughs> yeah, he'd hate me saying that. But it's very true.
0: It is. I mean, it's so many people who now are thriving in the in the podcast space, which you know stemmed from from radio. Uh, all learned from him. It seems like, like every podcast I've listened to, uh, you name it, there's always Ira Glass is mentioned somewhere, and I think it speaks volumes to the way that he approaches. subject i think it's incredible i have two things to say about that but one what is it about
1: kevin bacon because i think we could do the same thing for ira and there's a reason for ira but
0: why why is it kevin Bacon? do you have any idea (laughs) i i don't know i have to look it up i wonder if it's because he worked on so many movies that at some point he was in everything kind of like at some point everybody had worked with or met kevin bacon Or it could just be one person made it up one day and it's stuck. There's a lot of weird things like that in Hollywood. No, seriously. But the the thing about Ira that makes sense is that not only has
1: Ira, you know, like, he's incredibly generous of spirit. So if you were to call him and say, like, I'm working on this thing, is this horrible, is this interesting, you know, he's very honest and could be very open with you about why that thing you're trying to do would be really hard because maybe it would be really Mm -hmm. boring. Or... You know, there are a lot of new things that he's launched and not because he had to. It's because someone sent him something and said, I'm working on this. What do you think? And he's like, I think I want to make this part of a This American Life episode, which is an incredibly amazing launching pad to the world. And he does that because he heard something in someone else's project and wants to share it with the world on his platform and not because he necessarily gets anything out of it Mm -hmm. except interesting content, you
0: know? Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, I think when you get to be at that level, and have the power and have the resources, and be a conduit for others to get where they're going, I think that's got to be the greatest gift, that sense of possibility early on, because I think it can be so challenging to start anything new. It's so scary. And then I think to even reach out to someone like that, and then get a response back, it just, it's really life affirming, I would say. It can be one of those like pivoting moments in someone's journey. And that's so exciting. And Ira actually really helped launch Where Should We Begin? Tell us more about that. So Ira's
1: mother was a therapist and a pretty famous one. And in fact, one of Esther's, I can't remember if it was Made in Captivity or State of Affairs. Those are the two books Esther Perel wrote. Um, One of them was loosely grounded in research that Ira's mother had done. Esther had never met her. Um, I believe her name is Shirley Glass. And so Ira is the product of a therapist child and I think (laughs) is fascinated with the inner workings of relationships and why we do what we do and what motivates us as individuals. And we sent an early episode of Where Should We Begin before it had come out into the world to Ira, and he was completely riveted. Said he wanted to have Esther on, and they spent, I don't know, two and a half hours in the studio and this is right as Ira had filed for divorce. And it had come out in page six. And, you know, if you're a radio nerd or an audio nerd, you had probably read about it. And I think um, I think Ira was processing a lot of what was going on in his life with Esther through mm-hmm. the lens of this show. And and a lot of what they talked about obviously did not end up in the interview. Yeah. But um, it was cool. It was really cool to sit with. And, uh, you know, Esther brings her own... Ideas and, you know, sitting across from her, she sees more than you ever say. You know, Hmm. she like hears the unspoken, she sees the unseen, she looks into your eyes and she sees your inner darkness. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that weirded Ira out. Uh, And you also, you just, you feel compelled to share things with her, I feel like sometimes. It just feels like an out-of-body experience because she's looking at you and there's no um, small talk. I mean, she likes movies and theater and all of that, but it's just not what you think of to say to her. And so suddenly you're pouring your soul out um, and she'll she'll go there, right? you know? So <laughs> anyway, she's not afraid to yeah. ask and Ira wasn't afraid to answer. And basically as the show was launching when we were at Audible, um, he put out a segment uh, on a black hole. The episode, the theme was black holes. And it was a couple who had spent 45 years together, I think. And he had been a sex addict Mm. for probably on and off for 35 years of those 45 years. And um, the wife was deciding to stay with him. And her children were saying, what are you thinking? Her children didn't want to speak to her, didn't want to speak to him. And yet she wanted to stand by her man. Anyway, it was a really incredible episode because for me, that was the first episode when I was like, We all suffer from the same shit. We just have never had a vocabulary to talk about it. Interesting, yeah. I haven't been married for 45 years. I don't think my husband is a sex addict. I don't think he's hooking up with people on Craigslist that I know about. (laughs) But I heard so much of my own life in that episode. But on paper, I would have thought I had nothing in common. And I don't think – I know that's not unique to me. I think that's why people come back to this show is because – Um, They really do hear themselves in the lives of others.
0: It really is true. Like regardless of the gender of the couples or uh, their sexual preference or orientation or any of that stuff just goes out the window and you may not have the same problems, but you really do relate on such a deep level. It just shines a light onto things in such a unique way. I think she's fantastic and, you know, having her voice in our world is like, I'm just so glad that... We, we live in a moment in time where her platform can be so global and so many people can have access to her teachings because I think it's incredible. But not to make this a love fest about Esther as much as I love her. But it's fine. Because I, mean, I, I do. I have to talk about Esther. I could talk about her all day. <laughs> because I do want to just get back to you a little bit. Um,
1: when I met her for the first time, it was to pitch her. Um, and I had seen a slide deck. We had hired a consultant when I worked at Audible. Her name was June Cohen, the woman who um, we were working with. And she used to prep the TED speakers. So she knew all of the really amazing women who had given TED Talks probably in the last decade. And um, she came in with a slideshow of all these women who didn't have a podcast but needed one. And Esther was on a list of those. And so she kind of uh, was the matchmaker for this or kind of brokered this meeting. She was my inn. And I remember we met at a hotel uh, for breakfast with her um, chief of staff and this woman, June, and I. And I remember sitting across from her and, like, nervously just pitching my heart out. And she said nothing, (laughs) nothing. She just stared at me in a way that Esther does. And I remember being like, I cannot tell if she thinks I am the dumbest person in the world or if I'm really on to something because... There was nothing, there was no facial expression to read, nothing. Um, And as we got up to go, well, we all posed for a picture, which I think in retrospect is hilarious because if it hadn't gone well, I still had this like memory of my breakfast with Esther Perel. (laughs) Um, She agreed to the picture and then we uh, were standing outside the restaurant (laughs) and she said, you know, I don't make podcasts. I don't listen to them. I don't think she even knew what one was, honestly, at this point. (laughs) She said that she'd been approached by many television companies, production companies who wanted to film her, and she was always a no. But she said, come to my office, I will let you record, and then we will talk. And so that turned into, I chose three couples that she would do a session with, and I would record the sessions and listen. And then we would decide if any of them would warrant a pilot or what we would do here. And I didn't exactly know what I was looking for when I was screening the couples and choosing them. So I chose like very different three, very different couples from very different walks of life. They were all New Yorkers because at that point I didn't have any money to fly people in. Now we actually do fly people in from all over the country, which is cool. But, um, and I remember sitting outside Mm -hmm. of her office listening with the engineer Paul and I, we were sitting in the waiting room of her office and we were sobbing and we were texting our partners on the phone and just being like all the things that were happening with that couple. And that couple, they were dealing with like impotence and like no sex for the last 10 years, which I haven't even been married for 10 years. So like that, that was not what was happening with me. Uh, But there were so many moments that I wanted to share with my partner, and so did Paul, who was texting his wife. And so we were, like, looking at each other, thinking, oh, my God, this is so powerful. What we're hearing is so powerful. We have to share this with the world. We have to figure out how to take that and make that into something that's viable that other people can hear, too.
0: And then you did.
1: Yeah, I mean, what happened was this, like, beautiful crafted pitch that I pitched her, which was this heavily curated... (laughs) Heavily edited concept was not at all what we did because I realized in listening to her that people don't start and end their stories at the same places, even if they're telling their. Same story. You know, if you come in with your partner and you come to talk about your relationship, you might start it yesterday and he might start it six months ago. Mm. You know, so it's not like I could do this side by side comparison of he said, she said, or he said, he said, or whatever the sexual orientation is of the couple. Like, that's not how you tell a story. And that's certainly not how you go to therapy. Right. Uh, But I've never been to therapy except now I've sat through many hundreds of hours of therapy, other people's. Uh, So I didn't really exactly know what to expect when I started this. And that's Esther's favorite joke. Whenever we go and do a live show or something together, she loves to tell people that she found the only person in Manhattan who's never seen a therapist.
0: (laughs) Maybe that's why she felt drawn to you. You were untapped. Maybe. I
1: don't know. I mean, she's always asking me if I've read this or this. And is there always therapy books? Have I read this? Like In conversation, I'm like, no, Esther, I have never read a therapy book, you know, and then she looks at me like, I cannot believe that. But I think I know how to tell a story. And she obviously understands how to conduct a therapy session. And somewhere, you know, our skill sets overlap, but they don't, um, they complement, they don't compete against each other. And somehow, it's a really nice balance, I think.
0: Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about what it's like to be a podcast producer. How would you define that? I think this is true.
1: In any genre in which you work as a producer, you know, you used to feel, or at least I did, I used to feel like the producer did so much of the work, but you were always the backstage presence. You know, you were never the person in front of the spotlight. You were never the person on camera. You were never the person um, in front of the microphone or behind the microphone. But I feel like now you're not really this silent part of a production anymore like producers are so much more considered now talent or in the limelight or you know I don't think you would have been wanting to interview me 10 years ago because no one would have cared about producers but now it's it's like it's it's an okay thing to be now and it's um you're not a wannabe reporter or a wannabe host you know you're like you made this decision to be a producer because you have this unique skill set and you really run a production I think my mother still wonders what a producer does exactly.
0: I think the mothers of everybody I've had on the show still wonders that. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. especially like podcast producing, because, you know, if you produced
1: a television show, your mom wouldn't know what you did exactly, but like she could point to the thing that you made and other people could watch yeah. it. But like a lot of moms, not mine, thankfully, but a, a lot of moms, you know, still are not really down with how to download a podcast.
0: (laughs) How would you define then what an audio podcast producer is and how it's evolved since you've started?
1: Producer means it's a jack-of-all-trades for for anything. You know, you can be an entry level producer who's pulling cuts and doing research and writing questions. Um, You can be a producer who actually reports the story and who is the voice of a story.
0: What does it mean in audio?
1: If you think about Brian Reed, who made Serial, he's a producer. I think he would self ID as a producer. But he was so much more than what we think of as just a producer uh, on that series, especially. And, And then there's like, there's the confusion between executive producer and producer. And I feel like in TV, that means one thing in audio, it means another. If you're an EP of a project in audio, it means you do everything from edit the podcast, Mm -hmm. produce the podcast. You probably run the budget. You probably wrote the budget. Um, You probably have gone out and found a distribution partner to actually cover the budget. You probably pick the host. I mean, it's really, it's your baby. It's your vision. Um, You fight for it. And I, I get the impression that I think there are some EPs in TV that do that, but I don't think that they necessarily... EP can also be, I think, in the television world, a mm. an honorary credit that you will give someone. I've been working on a documentary project for TV, and I really understood. Like, you can Google the hierarchy of what a television producer's hierarchy is in TV. It doesn't quite work like that for audio, and it sort of depends where you are, um, who you work for. If you work in like a union run um, newsroom, like NPR, you would probably start as an assistant producer and then go up to associate and then be a producer, senior producer, senior supervising producer, executive producer. A shop like mine, we just hire producers and we don't get too picky about it. But then if you If you own, if you're the owner of a project in the sense of like, it is your baby and you live and breathe and die by it, then you're the executive producer of it. But it really, you know, it totally just depends. If you're a senior producer, you've probably been working in the field for about 10 years. Um, Your pay normally reflects that.
0: Yeah. But it really varies from place to place. Interesting. So what responsibilities do you say, like for you specifically with where you're at now in your career, what are some of the things like day-to-day for you as a producer? What kinds of st- kind of stuff are you doing?
1: I mean, I, so I run a small production company. We're a really boutique little place. I mean, there's 10 of us. Um, we have a small office in Midtown, New York. Um, so I do everything from, you know, go out and pitch a project to write the budget for a project to figure out who should host the project to literally making the project. Uh, but at the same time, like I also make coffee in my office. If the cleaning lady is not there, but once a week, like we take out the trash, you know, we break down the (laughs) boxes, water the plants, you know, like we do everything. I will give you an example of, um, a show like where should we begin only has really two producers and then a sound designer. So it's a really small production staff. We've been doing a season on uh, couples under lockdown for the last, Mm. I don't know, eight weeks. And really because everyone else is sort of on other things, it's just been me. And then the sound designer will come in at the end and make everything sound beautiful and pace it and put in some music. But I've been sweating it by myself in lockdown (laughs) for the last eight weeks. How's that been going? (laughs) Not great. (laughs) But it is, um, the night hours are my favorite. You know, editing sometime after 9, 9.30, 10 o'clock until 2, I really find my, my stride. You really figure out whether you're a morning person or a night person, I feel like. And during this lockdown, especially if you have kids, because you have to pick when you, when you can work. But it has been really interesting this for the last couple of weeks, because normally if you had applied for the podcast and you lived anywhere else outside of the U.S., um, I wouldn't have called you. And for the lockdown series, I just went through the applications and I called everyone who lived in countries that were really, had really been affected by the virus. Mm. And I had conversations about relationships that I would never have had. And, and I've always wanted to do an international season, like looking at love in other languages. Mm. And so this gave me a little bit of a dipping my toe in the water yeah. of what that can look like. So it's been really exciting and, um, you know it could influence future seasons of where should we begin, I think
0: that's incredible. so this was a
1: uh, Esther and I thinking we just really needed to do something in response to where we were and what we were all dealing with. Esther is upstate, kind of in lockdown herself, and I'm in New Canaan, Connecticut. I we think we're both in places we don't normally live, and mm-hmm. everyone is, or a lot of people are um, or spending more time in their bedrooms yeah. than they're used to,
0: <laughs> case in point. My podcast studio is also my bedroom. (laughs) No, exactly.
1: (laughs) But this season has only been four episodes. So we just did kind of a mini season because season four of Where Should We Begin is actually coming out in June. Cool. Uh, We've been working on that for the last eight months. But then this sort of interrupted the flow of that. So I stopped that to work on this. Wow. There's one more episode that's coming out and the couples in Nigeria.
0: So unfortunate, the circumstances, but what a unique opportunity to go deep into to love during this time. They, they said, you know, divorce rates are probably going to go up tremendously now that people have to really be with their spouse, which is, I have a lot of thoughts on that, but this is not the time or place. Um, but it's fascinating, you know, that it's like you're, it's like Esther likes to say, you know, throughout one person's life, you're going to have three to four relationships But if it's going to be with the same person, that's for you to decide, which I love. I love that. She
1: can find a way. This is probably telling you more about me than I should. But um, she can find this way of always seeing Mm -hmm. a path for a couple where like I can be like, there is no way. There is just no way this is going to work out. Like I, I can talk to them and decide that I'm going to put this couple in front of Esther and she's going to tell them I'm so sorry, but. I, I don't see a path forward for you, but she can always like wade through the bullshit and then figure it out. And so it became this thing. I think it <laughs> took me three seasons to find a couple where she told them, finally, I think you guys should just be friends. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, 30 couples. And finally yeah. you don't see the path for someone. I mean, I was so amazed. Um, But we did, in this lockdown series, we did, the four couples were really interesting. The first one was in Italy, and it was the the height of what was happening in Italy, right as the U.S. started to lock down, and it was a couple who, um, he was used to being the guy who was never home, and suddenly his wife, who was a midwife, had to go out every day and work her shifts and birth babies in a hospital with covid covid patients so he has to stay home they had three kids he's becoming the guy who makes breakfast lunch and dinner puts the kids to bed and was suddenly seeing his wife in a very new light Mm. and where they were really they had missed each other for years and he thought he was it wasn't going to work out for them and this covid kind of rekindled that for them
0: that's beautiful
1: And then there was another couple in Germany where they had split up a year ago because she took a job and moved away and took the kid and moved away and he promised he'd come. And it took COVID for him to finally go to Germany to be with his family. And she so desperately wants him to stay. She loves him so much. This is like exactly what she wanted. And she's worried when COVID is done, he'll go back to living his life. and you know, we actually did a New York couple who filed for divorce in the middle of COVID. Interesting. And he's trying to go out to see his girlfriend and she's losing her mind oh and saying like, God. you can't go out and see your girlfriend because you can't bring it home. I don't know who your girlfriend's seen and what what kind of lockdown rules she's keeping. And like, um, Esther did not see a path for them. That was an interesting episode. That was one of the most tense episodes I think we've ever done where they actively were fighting in the episode, but she told them like, don't worry about what your future holds. You need to worry about just getting through this period we're living in right now.
0: Such great advice. I think even if you're not in a committed relationship, that's just like, we all need to hear that right now. Yeah. What do you feel like are some misconceptions that people have about podcast producing, producing as a whole that, if you could shake people up, what would be that one thing that you're like, ugh, it's not like this?
1: Before, I would have had a perfect answer for that. Before COVID, I would have been like, that you just make podcasts in your pajamas in your basement. <laughs> because that used to be like the big line of like what a quality podcast was it's like you know any any jerk could make a podcast in his basement with three microphones and upload it to iTunes like it doesn't cost you anything (laughs) which is very true but that's what we're all doing now and I've edited so many things in my pajamas in the living room you know so it's like yeah so I don't know what the myth about podcasting is anymore Um, I think that we're constantly I mean, I've been really impressed with what people are putting out right now and the way that they're finding to gather tape and to tell stories Mm. when we are all doing it like this on Zoom. Um, The way people are finding new ways to be creative, I think, is really fascinating. Um, The myth is that we all do one. Like, that. being a producer means something different every single day. And I think that's why I like it so much is because it's never the same thing twice. So it's hard to describe to my mother or to anyone, like, this is what I do. It's like, this is what I did today. It's not what I'm going to do tomorrow.
0: I think that's a really good way of looking at it, where it's just really getting things done. You're just doing whatever it takes to get the thing done, whatever is needed within the resources to get it done. Some parts of it you probably don't enjoy, and some parts you love. You know, And I think that keeps producers particularly quite flexible in adapting every day to new challenges, real-time problem solving, which I think makes us adept, really adept at, at adapting in this time, you know, of so much uncertainty. And, and as somebody who has freelanced my whole life, it's kind of, you know, in a way, not much has changed for me because I'm so used to months of time without knowing employment and when that's going to happen and having to keep the ball rolling on multiple projects and working from home and like pushing boulders uphill. Uh, It's just that now there's this added layer with the rest of the world is also experiencing it. And to some degree, you know, yeah, even if you have to work from your pajamas all day. It's all, it's all good. You know, (laughs) it's like showing up with that good attitude every day. It's like, that's all we can really do. And
1: I feel like you can't keep a good producer down. You know, it's like, yeah, you can, a producer always has a plan A, B, C, and D, or however, however far it needs to go. It's like, okay, what are you going to throw at me? I can, I I can come back at you with this, you know? And it's like, all right, well, it's going to rain. I'm going to come at you with this or You need me to figure out like what kind of fig plants we need for this? I can can handle that. Like we're problem solvers.
0: Which is why I think women particularly make such great producers because it's like this is just how most women I know in my world are built. But in terms of this ability to multitask, problem solve, pivot, like have one thing spinning over here and this thing being thrown over here and find a way to keep it all together, for the most part we, we do pretty good. But sometimes, you know. We're
1: human. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the ability to multitask. Women are so. I mean, I, I am a woman, so I can't speak for men. But just the ability to hold twelve things in your head at once and mm-hmm. still function and still, you know, look presentable and like you have your shit together is. I'm always in awe.
0: Well, they say that it's because if you look at the the way we've evolved, women were always watching the children and watching for all the potential things that could go wrong so that they could save their children and save themselves. If men were out focused on a specific task of hunting, for example, bringing food back for the, for the community, for the tribe, the women and the children were left and there was, there's a bunch of kids running around, there's all this shit happening. You have to be monitoring this massive space and corralling all of this all the time. So our brains naturally are wired for that. And it's, there's this theory that later on, when women were more domesticated, it's why women started taking up crafts and doing things with their hands. Because a woman's brain is such a crazy place that if you don't give them something to do to transmit that energy, they can literally go crazy. Because women cannot sit still.
1: It explains a lot about, like, my mother and my grandmother, actually.
0: Yeah, don't quote me on that. I obviously haven't, like, I read that somewhere, and I don't know where it was, but it stuck with me, clearly. Um, so
1: I wonder what iPhones are going to do, especially, like, the hunting and gathering and the mail part has been replaced. Like, I was just thinking about my, <laughs> my husband was grilling um, turkey burgers tonight, and I, like, was yelling at him because he was on his iPhone. I was like, you had one task, not to burn the turkey burgers. And I don't know what news alarm or Twitter alert or what happened on his phone, but he was, there was something that totally got his attention, and it was not dinner.
0: The way our brains are going to change and be rewired because of technology, it's terrifying. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I mean, we can't really control it at this point, just trying to do damage control and manage as much as possible. But at any rate, I, I was curious, what makes audio a particularly good medium for certain types of stories. And in what ways is it a barrier? Do you think that there are some kinds of stories that should only exist in one medium versus the other? I think particularly with Hollywood coming into podcast land and adapting a lot of these podcasts. um, I don't know. I'm curious if if you think it's necessary.
1: I don't think everything translates. I think that audio is Mm -hmm. the most intimate form of media, period. I think it's easy to fuck up too um, because not a lot of people write for sound. Mm. And I think that's something that I definitely learned on NPR. And I think if you kind of came up in a world and an Ira Glass world, I mean, if you even just listen to the way that This American Life structures yeah. their show, I mean, they very much, the audio propels the story just like a picture would. And I think that sometimes that gets lost when people who come in from other disciplines like who don't write to the sound uh, or who don't think about the way that which the story needs to be told because it's coming in through these tiny earbuds and you're interrupting somebody's daily flow it's like people don't sit down to listen to a podcast the way that they sit down to take in a movie Mm -hmm. um, or a television show I mean they do this while they're doing the 12 other things or making their turkey burgers or watching their kids in the yard or their dishes or on their way to work or whatever. it's definitely a life interruption. And so that changes the way that you tell a story, I think, Mm. and how you reach them. And sometimes you do have to repeat things in a story, you know, because you're dealing with the subway announcer or people are only going to get this one piece of information once you want to make sure that you really, you know, bring it home to them. But I, I feel like not everyone understands the level of intimacy. Um, that audio should hold in the world. And I think this lends itself to a stare really brilliantly because, um, it allows you to not focus on someone's features when you're listening to their story or their problems or their anxieties about the world and to really internalize it. And then I think if you were looking at this couple on a couch, you would, You would worry about like where his hands are or how he fidgets with his picks at his thumbs or, you know, your mind would go other places. And when you're taking in just their story and their breath and, um, you know, like you can hear, you can hear them cry. You can hear like them starting to cry. You can hear their throat tighten. You can hear all of these moments that I think that you might miss if you were watching their face. Mm Um, and I also think it allows you to imprint yourself on their story. If I can't tell what color they are or how much money they make, you know, or where they're from in the, in the world, if I just hear their voices and their stories, it's such a beautiful way to make it my own.
0: That's such a beautiful response. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> do you think in a in a time when we are so overstimulated, podcasts somehow give your mind a break? I think it's interesting. How, how do you feel like the landscape has changed since twenty fourteen when Serial came out? I mean,
1: I don't know how COVID will affect the world and everything we're making. I can tell you that the numbers of new podcasts that were created in the month of April yeah. were ridiculous. Um. So people are still going out and they're still making and they're sitting in their basements and they're making these things by the hundreds of thousands. Um, Whether or not the ad world will sustain that, I know it won't. Um, So I think we have to keep reinventing different revenue streams. Um, Right. And since 2014, there have been so many different players who've come into this space to be disruptors. Then I don't know, you know, four years from now, it's still going to look very different, I think. Um, everyone claims to be the HBO of audio. I feel like every <laughs> every new house that's open, that's been their, their slogan. And I don't know that we've yet to see an HBO of podcasting. <laughs> I don't even really know what that means, but people love to banter it about. Yeah, I mean, I hope that we all continue to make really interesting things and share each other's content and then it doesn't get too big where we don't, where we don't know each other anymore. But, but I don't know.
0: Yeah. I'm curious if, if the sheer volume of podcasts that are getting created, if that is good or bad, you know, for podcasting as a whole, like the, the, if it's going to cr- sort of crowd the, the small sort of little gap that people have to even get the thing they're creating out to find an audience. You know, I think that's the biggest challenge. And even with iTunes and getting published in their... Their main page, which is how a lot of podcasts get discovered, even that now has become completely like, unless you're a celebrity or there's someone famous or a notable studio behind you, it's nearly impossible to do, which makes it that much harder to really get the traction and find your audience and build and get to the point where you can potentially monetize or have partners.
1: Yeah. Or or players with better search functions. Yeah. I mean... There's so much stuff out there that you're right, that if, if someone isn't promoting it and it isn't in your face, you don't know it if it exists and you may really want to listen to it. These may be your people. You just don't know where to find them. Yeah, Yeah. And I can't think of a single search function on any app that's decent, unless you know the title of something or maybe the host of who hosts it, like you're kind of screwed.
0: Right. I think we're obviously still in the infancy of podcasting as a whole. It's so new. And there's so many different kinds of ways you can tell a story because you're right. Like it is such an intimate thing. And I've even, you know, I have this this Zoom recorder and during the holidays, I just sometimes will just have it recording moments with my family because it's, there's something so incredible about listening back to the sounds of the environment and the conversations and the snippets you hear here and there that it's just so special. It's very different from filming it. You know, like you said, you really just it's like you feel like you're transported to that time and place much more quickly than if you were seeing it happen. I think it maybe puts you inside the experience a little more, whereas when you're watching it, it, there's still this separation between me and what's going on over there.
1: I also feel like, you know, you you remember a lot of your past in pictures Mm -hmm. and it's like, do you really remember that time when you were five and this happened or do you just remember that picture that your mom had? of that time and
0: then you think you have a memory because you saw the picture right
1: right? but if you were to play back the sound even like three minutes from that same picture but you were just listening to it 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 would be a memory you know because it would be so much more substantial than the snapshot that you have from that moment yeah Um, which I think is is cool and I record my kids a lot because they think it's funny, and it's they're not self-conscious. Like if I take my phone out, and they they're smart. My eighteen-month-old understands like how to work my iPhone and how to take pictures of herself, and she's you know not even two. And this doesn't really make them self-conscious. Um, and I also feel like that goes away too. I think as a grown-up, like in in Esther's office, if you walk in for a recording, there will be four mics in the room. And I think when you first get there, you're like, oh my God, there are microphones, you know, and people will lean in and be like, Jesse, can you cut that out of the show? You know, when they're doing a session, but then within like five minutes, it completely fades. Yeah. People are themselves and they're not self-conscious and they're just in it. And I think that's the beauty of a microphone is that it's not super invasive. It lets you forget yourself and just tell the story you want to tell. That's kind of, it's kind of lovely.
0: It is lovely. Switching gears to something not so lovely, Okay. since the show is about shining a light on challenges and struggles that you have faced in your career, I would love to hear about an experience you may have had where you may have felt like, I don't know how I get through this. I don't think I want to continue doing this. But then you did it anyway, and you got to the other side. And what kept you going?
1: I probably had a few of those experiences, the one maybe most recent was, um, I worked for a really big tech company, uh, after I worked at NPR for a while and I got such an education working there because I had gone from public radio where you knew everybody, you loved everybody. They were all your friends. I mean, literally like I married a guy I met in public radio, like these people are my family. They are wonderful. They are friends for life. You know, you make those connections. (laughs) They were to me what like college I think was for a lot of people, but you really have to beg for every dollar that you get to spend. Um, Mm. it's a hard place to, or this is where I came from. It was a hard place to make something new. And so going to a place like, um, Amazon where, you know, they give you very much a At the time, they gave you the budgets you needed to make the shows you wanted, and they didn't get in your way. And learning how to craft a budget and to be responsible for it and to know what to ask for and to be Mm. able to pitch in a room of non-creatives. like I learned, I got a business degree, and felt like. Um, And I'm really thankful for that experience in so many ways. And it allowed me to do and be what I am. Now and who I am, and it brought me Esther, and it brought me uh, my business partner. Now we kind of went through the war of of leaving Audible together, and um, yeah, I would say that made me who I am now. But uh, I'd never been laid off, and that happened there, and it came as sort of a surprise. And not only they they laid off the whole team got laid off and that wasn't, um, anything I was prepared for. And I felt, I felt responsible for all of Mm. these people who I had brought on to work for me under this team. And I mean, yeah, I was worried about myself, but I was worried about where they were all going to go and, and would they be happy there? And could they make the things that they wanted to make? And, and did I withhold, you know, uphold my end of the bargain and, and, um, I also have this way of feeling like everyone's mother. Um, And so that was really hard to lose my team and to lose it like that. And then to feel that I needed to make sure they landed on their feet. And they all did because they are wizards and wonderful producers and just (laughs) smart, wonderful people. And the audio world, you know, continues to need more people like that. And it's an ever-expanding universe right now. And may it continue to be so. So everyone... I think landed in even better places. In fact, one of the women who used to work for me, um, won a Pulitzer
0: this week. Wow. Congrats um, and, to her. And the place
1: where she went next. So I feel so incredibly proud of her. And Aww. that was the path she needed to be on. And it was good that things worked out the way that they did, but that was really hard and really dark. Um, and being the sort of like Tracy Flick overachiever, <laughs> you know, never been fired, never got laid off, never like, you know, I always, I always did my extra credit assignments, you know, that was really hard for me personally, too. Um, I would do it all over again, if I had to, because I learned so much, and it brought me to where I am right now. But it was really shitty living in it.
0: In that living in it time of your life, how did you get through it?
1: I kept making new things. Nice. And that's the only way that I know how to respond to any kind of trauma or stress. Uh, Even when COVID happened and I was driving in a car with my family to come to Connecticut to kind of have a yard so that my kids weren't all shoved into a two-bedroom apartment, I was pitching. I was pitching. My, My partner was, I was on the phone with him and I'm like, these are the two shows we have to make. You know, I don't know what staff we're gonna make it with, and I don't know where everyone's gonna be, and I don't know how to get microphones, but we're gonna like we're gonna sort this all out and here's who we should pitch it to. And like that's how I deal with stress.
0: Yeah. You lean into it. And I figure out like,
1: how can I contribute in some small way that will make things better? I think with getting laid off, it was how can I help other people find their new path so that I feel a little more centered in my own. And then this time it was, what's the story or what are the stories I can tell yeah. during COVID that might make someone feel a little less alone? I'm, I'm not working on a, a cure for COVID. I am not, I don't work in the government. Like there's nothing I can do that will have an impact in a really profound way, except, you know, tell stories. Well, thank you for telling those stories. I much prefer being in your shoes than I am in mine. I would, I, I like to ask the questions. I, I don't like to answer them.
0: Well, I think you do a great job when the tables are turned. Well, so thank you. Yes. Um, so I guess the final question is, you know, what advice you would have for someone who is listening, particularly who wants to produce podcasts? What would you say? I would say, what would
1: I say? I mean, I do this a lot. I mean, I, I take in cold calls from people who are like, I have this idea and can you help me figure it out? I would say find a place that makes is making the thing that you wanna make and figure out how to find your place within their team. And whether that's as a mentee or that's as a junior producer or that's as a senior producer cause that's the level that you're at. But, you know, find the storytellers that really speak to you and figure out, if you're new, how to center yourself in their universe. I hired a woman that I met on the Subway platform. She's amazing, but she had never produced in her life, but she was trying to make this podcast in her living room. We had come out of a book event. And I had asked her, I was recording it, and I had asked her, I'd had a terrible experience at the event, and I thought maybe the event wasn't for me. So I asked her if she had had a similar experience and then explained who I was so that I wasn't this weirdo, and she, you know, told me what she thought of the event. And I don't know, we were both riding up to Harlem on the train, and she came over and sat next to me and said, you know, introduced herself, said she was working on this podcast, and could I listen to it, and would she ever talk, could I ever talk to her over a cup of tea or something at some point in time. We followed up. I loved her so much in that tea. I'm like, I want to find space for you on my team. I know you've never edited tape before. And I know you, you know, you work in marketing, but you're interested in this. Like, but would you want to come work for us? And I can teach you. I can't teach curious. I can't teach you to have an open mind, but I can train you for skill. I can teach you to cut tape, like no problem, you know? But she came with all of these amazing skills that I want in a producer. And I just want in a person I want to be around. Um, but she was brave enough to come up and ask, you know, like, would I would I listen to her podcast? It's like, I'll give you a job, you know?
0: Yeah. That's Incredible advice. I think that transcends any field, any discipline of producing. I think that's the biggest advice people give on the show is be curious, be a good person, be somebody people wanna be around. You know, It sounds so obvious. Being a person who has the curiosity, has the enthusiasm for the thing is more important than the hard skills because that you can learn. But you can't make someone be a better version of themselves, be a better human. Thank you so much for your time. I'm so grateful. I mean, this has been fun. I mean, the hour, it went so quick. I'm amazed. Yeah. And thank you so much for sharing your journey with me and the listeners. I know people get a lot of benefit out of hearing these um, intimate conversations. And so I appreciate you taking the time to go there with me. Well, I appreciate
1: you making the show and for having me on it. I was deeply honored. And I know I don't, you know, I don't work in television. So you're branching out into the audio world. And I think that's so cool.
0: Yeah, I want to talk to people who produce things that I know nothing about. And that's this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you don't already, please subscribe, rate, review on Apple, on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast. Follow me on the socials. I'm at Carolina Gropa, the show's at Life with Kaka, and I'll see you next week. Peixes...